Welcome to Respect Life Radio. My name is Deacon Jeff Bennett with Catholic Charities of the Archdiocese of Denver. And remember, you can listen to all of our shows at respectliferadio.com. Today, our guest is Rachel Hoover. She is a technical writer by day and a critic and essayist for several Catholic publications in the evening. She holds a BA from Christendom College and lives in Nashville, Tennessee. And uh, Rachel, thanks for joining us today. Thank you for having me. You've written a couple articles that kind of caught my attention uh, with Catholic World Report. Uh, why aren't young Catholics marrying and, and how to help Catholics get married? And uh, what kind of set you on the course to write those articles? Sure. I think I'm interested in this topic primarily because this is what I'm living through right now. Um, (laughs) I'm 27. I'm single. I've been hoping to get married ever since I was a little girl. And I've just found that even though I'm, you know, quote unquote, doing everything right, so to speak, and living as a Catholic, um, there are a lot of obstacles. It's pretty difficult to meet another good Catholic and then to go all the way through that relationship and actually get to marriage. So there are a lot of different reasons for that. And I wanted to dig into some of those reasons and shed light on some of the reasons that I think are maybe less well-known in the Catholic world. Yeah, I think that's what intrigued me about the article, because I think, you know, you look at the world and, you know, no-fault divorce, contraception, you know, the Obergefell decision in 2015 you know, people living together, pornography. I think people know all about those types of situations and how detrimental that's been to marriage and really minimized it to the point where people are calling anything marriage anymore. But you you went a little more in depth, even did your own survey. And uh, what did you find out when you, when you looked into it for the people you surveyed? Yes. So there are all those reasons you've named that really are affecting Catholics almost as much as they're affecting the rest of the world, which is a huge problem. But there are also some things that are more unique to Catholics, or at least things that we don't expect to affect Catholics as much. Um, So one of them that I shed light on here is what I call dysfunctional discernment, which is the phenomenon of a Catholic young adult who kind of wants to get married, but is sort of fearful that that's not really the vocation that God has cut out for them. And so they're kind of stuck trying to decide whether to pursue marriage at all or to pursue priesthood, religious life, something else. So some people can get kind of caught in this um, decision-making process for a number of years and get very worried, very anxious about it. There's sort of a unique anxiety about vocation, I think, that uh, you don't really see outside the Catholic world, but it's holding people back, I think, from both priesthood and religious life and from marriage. I agree. I mentioned before we got on it. So I have a daughter who's a Dominican, but I had a son that discerned out of the priesthood and just recently got married. And he just, he, he was 27 when he got married. So I get it. It's, it's, you know, you don't want to close the door on God's calling, but you need to remember that God's calling for marriage is is very strong, and we need good marriages if we're going to have good vocations. So you you can't go wrong, although you want to do the Lord's will, but you can't be caught up in that in that loop of not making a commitment. It's like you know the perpetual student who never wants to leave college and get out into the real world. Mm-hmm. And someone I know recently said this line, I I wish I could have stolen it for the article, (laughs) but he said, God's will is for you to love him and serve him. And I think that's a good thing to sort of um, go back to and remember that 
God loves us and he's a person, he's a father. We can talk to him about things. We can ask him to guide us in our decisions. But ultimately, we do have free will that he gave us and we need to make a choice. So I cite um, some resources on that, but I, I think it's important to remember that there is a choice in vocation. It's not just sort of waiting from the waiting for that voice from heaven <laughs> to come and speak to us very clearly. Uh, it's something where we need to take action and God is God's will is going to become clear through our choices and work through our actions as well. So that can kind of yeah, ease the anxiety a little bit. Yeah. And I think when you look at that, you you understand if you're discerning a vocation, you're not the only one discerning. The order or the diocese is also discerning with you, as well as marriage. You can maybe want to marry somebody, but that might not be their decision. So it's it's never just your decision in a vacuum, and you have to be open to those others that are involved in whatever you're discerning to, to determine if it is God's will, then it'll happen. And if it's not, then it's, then you have to be comfortable with that as well. Absolutely. You not only mentioned that part of it, but there were some other things you found out uh, that also impact uh, young faithful Catholics who are trying to find a spouse. What else did you find other than the dysfunction when it comes to discernment? Yes. Another reason that I think is um, very important within the Catholic Church right now is what I call the Catholic camps or the 50 flavor filter. (laughs) Those are kind of uh, silly phrases for something that's really very serious. Um, It's the reality that even within the Catholic Church, we have a lot of division right now. People who have very strong opinions about say, the liturgy or even just what choices to make in day-to-day life. And I think there's there are a lot of extremes, and then there are a lot of people who are kind of sitting in the middle. And what I've seen among kind of the circles that I run in and in the survey as well is that a lot of young Catholics are looking to date and marry someone who is within the same sort of camp or division inside the church as they are. So they're mm-hmm. not just looking for fellow Catholics, they're looking for the right type of Catholic, so to speak, the, the type of Catholic that they are. And obviously this is very limiting. Um, there's already you know, a relatively small number of faithful Catholics in the world. If you're shrinking your dating pool down even further from that to just the sort of subset of Catholicism that you want to be in, and then thinking about things like, well, the right age, uh, do they find me attractive at all? Do they um, live in the same area or are they on the same dating website? You go through all those filters, so to speak, and you'll end up with almost no one left. So I think the divisions in the church are, there are many, many reasons why that's a problem right now, but it, among other things, it's holding people back, I think, from just forming relationships with other Catholics and marrying other Catholics and being happy in those relationships. Yeah, I thought that was interesting when I read that, that you'd put together, because you can see it, right? Somebody who goes to the traditional Latin mass is like, well, I don't want to date somebody who goes to the Novus Ordo because they're Mm -hmm. not as holy as I am, or, you know, vice versa. Maybe they're too holy if I'm going to the Novus Ordo and they're too strict. And we, we're really not open to, to meeting people. We judge them and put a label on them so quickly that, to your point, right, mm-hmm. you end up fishing in a pond where there's no fish. Exactly. So what I kind of recommended in part two of the article, and, and this comes from partly my own life experience, I, I'm a 
an attendee of the traditional Latin mass. I love it. I think it's wonderful. But I decided a while back that I should be open to meeting people who are not already going into the Latin mass because people can change their opinions over time. And the most important thing is that you meet someone who fundamentally wants the truth and wants to love God and wants to be a saint. And if you both want that above all, you're more likely to become more similar. (laughs) You're both going to grow over time and probably grow more similar as you both grow closer to God rather than growing apart and becoming more divided. If you kind of approach someone with a checklist of, all right, here are all my criteria. I need to find a person who meets all of my criteria that I've already come up with. Then you're not allowing room for yourself to grow or for that other person to grow and change over time. And if you end up say married to someone based on your checklist (laughs) and the person continues to grow and change. And having been married for many, many years, you don't want to marry somebody who's exactly like you. Right. I mean, in the end, (laughs) you're not looking for your clone to marry. And I think that was a really interesting point that you, that you uh, mentioned because, you know, diversity and, and, Granted, you know, somebody who's pro-life isn't going to want to marry somebody who's pro-death. And, you know, obviously those those extremes. But people who think differently and have a different life experience adds to that marriage. Right. It, 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 It really brings both of you to see things in a different way. So I think to your point, if you're going by a checklist and you're trying to find, you know, your clone in the mirror. First of all, one, you better hope you don't find it because. They'll drive you nuts. Nobody wants to be married to themselves. And it really does make, again, it makes for more of an interesting marriage and and to see things from a different perspective. And that's, you know, having been married for a long time, that that has been one of the the fruits of our marriage is seeing how both of us have moved, you know, not, you know, seismically, but in in an incremental way towards different opinions on things because we've seen things from a different perspective. And that's beautiful, right? That's that's what we should want, really. <laughs> if marriage is a sacrament that brings us toward sainthood, it should be something that challenges us and helps us grow, right? I think it's too easy yeah. to fall into thinking, I have to, I think there's a there's confusion about having standards versus having uh, a checklist or a shopping list. Um, standards would be, you know, this has to be a good person. I shouldn't marry a person who's bad or immoral or leading me astray, of course, but uh, there's a big difference between having good standards and then having um, just sort of unnecessary items on a list that are just holding you back. Yeah, I mean, the other thing, you know, you also talk about which, which you know, makes perfect sense. And actually, all these make perfect sense once you bring them to light. You think, yeah, that makes sense. But you talk about, you know, the parent and mentor influence, right? We Everybody says, yeah, that's important. But as married couples, do we really view ourselves as models of, of modeling the joy part of marriage, not just the hardships and, you know, liking to make fun of the spouse and the in-laws just because it makes for a funny joke. But, you know, the beauty of marriage, how over time, how we grow and, and, and become even closer than we are when we first get married. I think that was one of the things that probably surprised me the most about the survey that I took was how many people said that their own parents maybe weren't divorced or separated, but just didn't seem happy together. And maybe those parents would actually say that they are happy. I don't know. (laughs) But the perception, at least, 
among a lot of my peers is that their parents are staying together in marriage just because that's the right thing to do and that they don't really enjoy each other's company and they don't really get any joy and fulfillment out of marriage. And nobody should be arguing that, you know, marriage is not supposed to be this Hallmark movie or Disney fairy tale. It's not, it's not going to be perfect all the time, but we do need to see that the hardship and sacrifice is worth it, that it's a good thing to do that ultimately leads to greater joy. I think too many people just see the sacrifice and the hardship and the maybe resentment that comes from that. And of course, they're scared away from getting married or tempted to think, well, that means I really have to find a very perfect person for me. (laughs) Otherwise, I I just shouldn't get married at all. It's going to be terrible. So that was a huge influence, I think, that that is not talked about very much. Um, Like you mentioned at the beginning, we talk a lot about how divorce impacts the next generation, but we don't talk as much about how even not really divorced, but sort of um, fighting or distant or unhappy parents impacts the next generation, but probably almost as much, I would say. If you're looking for the perfect spouse, that's Christ. And that's in the priesthood or religious life. And I remember when my daughter, after being in a year, I remember so I said, how's it going? How are things going? She goes, good. But you know what, if, if this doesn't, if, you know, if it fails, not necessarily, you know, she discerns out, but, you know, if there's a problem with one of the spouses, I know it's me, it's not Christ. So that adds mm-hmm. even more pressure to, to be, you know, as faithful as you can. But it is a reminder to us that nobody's perfect, right? If, we, if you can easily find reasons why not to do something and then just go ahead and move on. And I think, you know, it, it is a challenge. And, I, and I, I've heard it from young people and I know young people like yourself that are looking and, you know, and then sometimes I think, you know, geez, most of the guys are weird or whatever they're, you know, they have these strange things. You want people who, you know, can protect and provide and, and make uh, a life together where, you know, it's, it's a comfortable and, and a growing thing and you're both going towards the same direction. So I think, you know, your your point about parents, your point about discernment and Catholic camps, all these things make perfect sense. Um, one thing I wanted to ask you is, because, and I see this a lot, that, you know, people go into college and they think, you know what, I want to be uh, a youth minister, or I want to do this. And then they come out with a bunch of debt in a job that you're not going to make much money. So for somebody like yourself, I mean, that's something you, you, you know, you're going to marry somebody with $100,000 worth of debt and you can't afford anything. That has to play in it too, doesn't it? I think so. I didn't get to go into the financial and economic aspect in this article. There's sufficiently room for so much, but yeah, a lot exactly. of people were commenting on that. You know, it, I think people have, have talked some out in the world about uh, student loan debt impacting marriage rates. I think the data on how much it impacts marriage rates in the world in general is maybe sort of mixed, but I think it is probably very true that Catholics, especially those who made a choice to go to maybe a private Catholic college as opposed to the state school where they could have gotten a full ride or something, um, and then like you said, they're choosing maybe more mission-driven jobs, so to speak, they are going to run into that economic factor. And those are all good things to do, but, you know, you do also have to be practical. So I think there's there's a huge, uh, huge factor that has to do with money, education, career, all those things sort of tied together. Um, 
I would love to investigate that more in the future. Uh, there wasn't quite room for it this time around, but I do think it's very important. Well, and I think sometimes, and it, and it goes with, you know, the Catholic camp idea that you were talking about in the checklist, right? We want to live in our Catholic bubble, right? We, we feel safer there. You know, I'm just going to work for the church or I'm just going to do that without realizing the world needs good, faithful Catholics in business and manufacturing and hospitality and whatever all these industries are. If good Catholics all shy away from that, then those industries are going to be wanting for those type of individuals that can make a difference and make a change. And it's the same as if you're not going to look outside your little sphere for individuals. And sometimes we get caught up in the Catholic bubble. And, and let's be honest, the Catholic bubble, I've worked for the church in a couple different dioceses. Uh, it's not exactly a panacea. And sometimes we, we kind of go into the world with, uh, you know, starry eyes. And I think, um, you know, to the detriment of marriage and families and being able to take care of families and all those things. Because, you know, if you want to get married, that means you want to have kids and you want to, you know, have a large family or whatever God wants to provide for you. And I think, you know, that's something that I'm sure you think about and people your age, right? Yes. I think it's always a difficult decision to make. It takes a lot of prudence to decide, um, am I willing to go into this job or this university, whatever it may be, is it something that's going to be, you know, is the moral state of things there so bad that it's going to lead me astray, in which case maybe I shouldn't do it. But if, you know, but is it, is it just kind of not as, not as lovely and Catholic as I would like it to be, (laughs) in which case maybe I'm supposed to go there and make it better. Um, And there's, I think it's easy to sort of over-spiritualize a lot of things in life. We're supposed to be sanctified through everything we do, but God made the whole world, right? You know, you can be sanctified through uh, working at a software company as I do um, during the day. And I think I've had a a great, it's been a great blessing really um, in various jobs I've had to work with people who aren't necessarily Catholic, don't have the same lifestyle that I do. And yet they're really wonderful people to be around. And as long as I'm not being pressured to go against my faith and morality, then there's no reason I shouldn't be there. There's no reason I shouldn't just be the presence of Christ in that situation. So I do think that's something um, something that a lot of us uh, Catholic young adults can be thinking about. And I think some are, there's sort of the two extremes as with everything. There's the extreme of people who say, I don't want to go to a Catholic college. I don't want to work for a Catholic organization. That sounds too... Uh, you know, boring or something. <laughs> I want to get out there mm-hmm. and do other things. Um, and then there's the other extreme of I only want to be in this little Catholic bubble. And uh, each individual choice um, has to be made just in the circumstances that you're in. I'm very grateful that I went to uh, Christendom College. It's a very solid Catholic college. I had a wonderful experience there. Um, totally worth every penny. And then I'm also glad that I've had jobs and other things in other areas. So I think that's it's just something that each person needs to develop judgment about and, and be open a little more open to more experiences maybe than we sometimes are. Well, it makes you more well-rounded and just think if the early Christians decided to live in their early bubble, what would the world look like today? Right. Um, You also wrote that other article, how to help Catholics get married. And maybe we could spend the last few minutes 
with some of the things, you know, just a few quick things to make people think. And again, people can go on Catholic World Report and look up uh, Rachel Hoover and her articles, but they're they're really interesting. And so what do you say about how can people help Catholics get married? Well, one of the big portions of that piece is talking about that parent and mentor influence that we already kind of touched on, but pointing out some beneficial ways that parents and mentors can really help. So this, I think, would take a lot more study to really do a thorough job of it. But from what I can tell, I think the biggest thing that parents and other mentors can do is be good examples of happy marriage, not just uh, good examples of the sacrifice and hardship, which we all know is part of it, but being examples of, you know, it can still be fun <laughs> with your spouse, you know, 20 years down the road. You can still enjoy each other's company. You're going to grow in friendship and all of that through the difficult things that you go through. So I think that's a, a big point that sounds simple, but not everyone really is thinking about this. That maybe, like you mentioned a while ago, maybe it's not a good idea to make those nasty jokes about the spouse and the in-laws, maybe we should make uh, more positive comments, just make a conscious effort to show forth the joy that really should be there. Um, and if there's no joy in uh, in the marriage of the parents and mentors in question, then they know that they have something to work on. <laughs> you know, there's resources, um, lots of resources out there for a Catholic marriage, um, improving Catholic marriages, divorce prevention, that kind of thing. I think we should be making use of those. Um, the people who are already married uh, should be making use of those and then making sure that it's clear to their single children, friends, et cetera, that marriage is a good thing. Um, so that's one one big piece of it that I, I think a lot goes into that. You know, why why are so many marriages appearing to be unhappy is kind of a different question um, but that's one area that I think would make a huge difference, even though it's pretty simple. It's simple, but, you know, it's easy to get caught up in your own life and your own, you know, if me, myself and I are my three favorite people, then, you know, we get lost in our responsibility of of being a good example. And I think I, and if I remember right, even in that article, you mentioned, you know, have parents encourage people right, to get married and, and, and talk about those beauties. And it's the same with, uh, you know, discerning religious life. How many parents, oh, I don't want my kid to do that. I want grandkids. It becomes about what they want as mm -hmm. opposed to, look, if you want to find that joy and happiness in life and want to spend it with another person, uh, you know, this is, it's a great way to do it. Just, you know, go about it in a way, like you said, not without a checklist, but, you know, go out and meet people and just, be, get experience in being out in the real world and, and seeing that, I think, makes a big difference. And that encouragement helps, too, doesn't it? Absolutely. I actually heard from a lot of survey respondents that their parents either actively discouraged them to get married young and said, no, no, focus on your career, focus on your education, or just didn't really talk much about marriage at all. And that was very interesting to me because I... I feel like the Catholic Church as a whole is very pro-marriage, obviously, and there's been a lot of talk about marriage sort of theologically in recent years, but individual Catholic families don't seem to be really actively promoting marriage as a good choice, and, and not necessarily promoting religious life or priesthood either. I think in uh, previous times, if you think back to—I'm a big Jane Austen fan, so if you think back to Pride and Prejudice and things like that, 
parents put a lot of pressure sometimes on their children to marry quickly because that's just how society was. And maybe that was too extreme, but we've kind of gone to the other extreme of just letting young people sort of flounder and, and figure out what they're supposed to do on their own. And sometimes they can't quite figure it out and it's very stressful and difficult. So having a little bit of guidance, a little bit of nudging in the right direction could actually be very helpful. And some simple ways to do that would be things like every parish, every diocese should just have fun social events that are specifically geared towards single Catholics to help them meet each other. Everyone should be uh, just pointing out that, you know, you, your life doesn't stop when you get married. You can actually further your education and your career even within marriage if that works out for you, if that's what God is calling you to do. So there are a lot of um, a lot of ways to sort of gently encourage marriage for those who want it and are called to it without over-pressuring people and, and kind of pushing them into a box either. So again, I think there's uh, a lot more study that could be done here. I could probably write five more articles on all the things that could be done to sort of encourage people to get married. But I think those are just some simple things that we could start with. I know you have plenty of time on your hands. You could just write a book, right? And just do different chapters because <laughs> it is so, uh, it, it, you know, it's such a broad issue with so many factors playing in. And, you know, as you mentioned, right, if you look at in the seventies, I think the average age of people getting married for women was 21 and guys was 23. Now we're at like 28 and 30. And so yeah. that's also going to affect the size of families. I mean, you know, seven, eight, nine, ten 10 years, makes a huge difference whether you have, you know, one, two, or, you know, eight or 10 kids. Yes, absolutely. And so many, at least women that I've spoken to, they wish that they could have gotten married much younger. Maybe they are 28 or 30 or 35, and they wanted to get married 10 years ago, but it just didn't work out. So sometimes it is people choosing for whatever reason to wait. And there might be good reasons for that, or there might be fear or something wrong with that depending on the situation. But sometimes it's just that it comes back around to they haven't met the right person yet. They haven't gotten into the right uh, headspace yet. Something has gone wrong and they would have loved to get married younger and have lots of kids, but it just hasn't worked out. So uh, the delay in marriage is also um, a factor. You know, it's not, I think some people have kind of questioned, well, maybe it's okay. Maybe it's all right if a lot of people are not getting married and, and that's just their choice. But it does ultimately affect the whole population. It affects the church. It affects how many vocations we're going to have in the next generation. So it really is a difficulty and something that I think deserves a lot more attention. Respect Life Radio is produced by Catholic Charities in the Archdiocese of Denver. And remember, you can listen to all of our shows at respectliferadio.com.